Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, I humbly ask that your spirit would be amongst us this day, that you would open our ears to hear your words, open our eyes to see your presence, open our hearts to feel your love. But as we realize that you are present amongst us, that you love us and that we see you in our midst, transform our very souls so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So it used to be that you could travel around in different cities and different towns and the roads are very similar to what you were used to. Your basic cloverleaf interchange, Maybe your T intersection, maybe it's a four-way stop, maybe there's a stoplight. But it seems like that somewhere along the line, traffic engineers and civil engineers started thinking, hmm, there's a better way of doing this. There's a better way of traffic flow that we can make a difference and that people will have a more pleasant driving experience, able to clear intersections much more quickly and with less stress and frustration. So several years back, this infamous traffic circle started to pop up in small towns to replace a four-way stop. 
Of course, no one knew what to do what to do with it, so they still stopped and stared to figure out, do I go now or not? And pretty soon we began to figure our way through those. But then somewhere along the line, someone created that diverging diamond intersection. If that doesn't sound confusing enough, add this one to it. The double crossover merging interchange at the interstate. I have no idea what that is, but I'm pretty sure that that sounds like choose your own adventure and hang on. Then there's one called the Michigan left, which I really don't understand it. I don't know how the people in Michigan feel about it, but I had someone after the last services, oh no, that's a real thing. I thought, you think I make this stuff up? But this is my favorite one. And they called it this, the jug handle. Now you think of, I mean, anything that's sophisticated called the jug handle. What? Really what that is, is two rights to make a left. Or if you did it in England, it would be two lefts to make a right, which is one step away from actually two wrongs do make a right. Who knew? But you're riding along, and as you ride in these towns that are trying all these new traffic, these new interchanges, you ride along and there's a sign that stays up for years because they know that there's always someone new. A big yellow or orange sign that says, new traffic pattern ahead. The idea behind that is to warn us so that we won't be confounded or confused, but that we will also understand that what's coming up ahead is better and more efficient, that it reduces headaches and frustration, and that maybe if we take it and if we experience it, we'll understand that this new way of traveling is best for us all, for all drivers on the road. As we look at today's text, well, what we realize is today's text is something very similar. It's about a new traffic pattern, a new way of living one's life. You see, as Passover was approaching, Jesus goes to the town of Bethany. He goes to have dinner with Martha and Mary and with Lazarus. And as he comes into the house, Mary, upon seeing Jesus, she goes to the cupboard and she grabs a jar, a pint of the most expensive perfume, and she pours it all over Jesus' feet. And then she dries his feet with her hair. Now, as we hear in the story, Judas gets angry about this because he says the money, that the, the nard, the perfume was used was wasted. But don't pay attention to that too much. That's really a red herring. It's a distraction. Because what's really happening in the story as Jesus foretells what's about to happen in his life, his coming journey to the cross, is that there is a new traffic pattern beginning to emerge in Mary's life. See, this pericope is one of change, one in changing someone who's so compelled to live a new traffic pattern in their lives that for them, the road that leads to the cross becomes a very clear road of God's love. See, this parable, this story, is about Mary of Bethany, See, she makes a real change because what Jesus has done in her life, she gives her best to Jesus from this point forward. And she gives it out of humility, not out of pride or out of ego. See, when we see those signs that say that a new traffic pattern is ahead, it implies that there is a change coming, that whatever we knew, whatever road, whatever intersection that we knew was coming is now different. But it's in that difference that we begin to understand that some change has happened, right? 
Well, see, in Mary of Bethany, there had been a change that had happened in her life. But to understand it, we've got to turn back the pages in the Bible a little bit back to the back to John chapter 11. So whereas we're reading in chapter 12, if you had your Bibles with me, you pulled them out. And I said, if I gave you five minutes to read it, you flip the pages and start at chapter 11. And here's what we would find. Jesus is teaching out in the field and he hears that his friend Lazarus is sick, that he's on his deathbed. And Jesus says to those that are within earshot of this message, this will not end in death. And so while they want to go to Bethany to see Lazarus, to heal him, Jesus teaches just a little bit longer. And then he leaves to head to Bethany. And as he goes along the road, he hears words that Lazarus has died. As he comes into town, Martha, Lazarus' brother, comes up to him and says that he's dead. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can raise him from the dead? And Martha says, yes, I do. But just as soon as she finishes her words, Martha comes out of the house, I mean, Mary comes out of the house stricken with grief, stricken with her pain, and she's grieving, and in her grief, she's angry, and she says to Jesus, if you'd only been here earlier, he would not have been dead. He wouldn't be in the tomb today if you had come earlier. And Jesus looks at her and says, show me where he is. And so a crowd forms, and they follow Mary and Jesus and the disciples to the tomb, and Jesus says to them, roll the stone away. And the crowd has this look. They look in this dismay and they say, Jesus, he's been in the tomb so long. I think the text says, he stinketh. And Jesus says, never mind, roll the stone away. And the crowd sort of shrugs their shoulders and they do what the Lord says. And as they roll the, tomb, the stone away, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, who had been in the tomb long past just having recently died, but been there for a couple of days, comes out of the tomb. And it's at that moment that Mary and the crowd believe the power that Jesus has. They believe what they've seen. They are moved with that. But for Mary, this encounter with Jesus is personal. It's personal at a level that she realizes truly what power God has and what God has done for her. And it changes everything about her. It changes everything that now she wants to live her life differently. It changes everything in the world about her and her relationship with God because what Jesus has done by raising her brother from the dead. That gets me thinking. Have we really pondered in our own lives what Jesus has done for us? Now, I'm not talking about just for the world. A lot of times we quote scripture that says God sent his only son to die on the cross so that we might have life. And we think of we in that global sense the entire world, but if we thought about it on a much more granular sense, right down to the person that we see in the mirror every day. Have you really pondered what God has done for you? For me. We realize that he died on the cross for you. For me. We've stood and we've looked in the mirror and we realize when we think about Easter and the empty tomb, and we think about Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, that that was for us as individuals, personally. Have we thought about it at that level? 
Have we thought about when Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins? It wasn't just the sins of the world. Why, yes, that's true. But for the sins that you and I commit on an individual basis, the sins that we do. Or that God holds us up when we are weak. That God gives us hope when we have fear and doubt. That Jesus has given us direction when we are lost. And then even when you and I, we wander far afield and we squander our inheritance, the grace that God has given us. And then we realize that and we want to turn back home and we come back to God to realize that Jesus is standing on the hill looking to the horizon for you and for me and welcomes us home as individuals and says, my child that was lost now is found. See, Mary had a reason for a new traffic pattern in her life because she realized what Jesus had done for her and you and I, we have that same opportunity for that new traffic pattern. That new traffic pattern is a new way of living. It's realizing what Jesus has done for us, but it's also our response to that. See, Mary's life was changed and it was changed in such a way that she was now no longer focused on just living life every day, but she wanted to give her best for Jesus. She wanted to give her best for God. Everything she did, she wanted it to be to the glory of God and it wanted it to be her best. That was why when Jesus came in, she took the most expensive perfume. So as I read that, I thought, Nard, wow, the most expensive perfume. Not a really catchy name, is it? I mean, can you imagine going to the counter at Belk and saying, you know, I'd like some Nard by Chanel. I mean, nobody buys that, right? But that was the name they gave it. And so Nard exists. And what I learned is it's, it's the most precious of oils. It's very fragrant. And it was used to relieve stress and anxiety. And it filled, its aroma just filled the house beautifully. And the text says that she took a pint of this with a value of a year's wages. So imagine what you make in a year. Imagine your yearly income, no matter what it is. Imagine taking that, something that you've spent the entire year, an entire year's worth of salary to buy a jar of that perfume. Now, if you did that, you wouldn't waste it, would you? That's hard won money, hard spent, hard earned. You wouldn't just waste it, would you? And what did she do? She took a year's worth of wages and a jar of perfume and she poured it out on Jesus' feet. She, she did that because she thought he deserved the very best. He would not have his head anointed with any, with any normal oil, any just old oil. No, just plain old water for Jesus. No, it had to be the best and it had to be all of it. And then to top it off, as she poured the entire pint out over his feet and the aroma filled the house. The text says she dried his feet with her hair. Now I pondered that. I thought, now she's put the most expensive perfume. Could she not have gotten the finest linen or a handy towel nearby? Why her hair? So culturally in those days, a uh, woman's hair was her signature. It was her most prized possession, the way she braided it, the way she washed it and cared for it and colored it and took care of it so that all the world, it was sort of her calling card, her signature, if you will. And so when she dried Jesus' feet with her hair, she was using her greatest asset, her best calling card for him. 
Now Judas is angry, as the text says. He was angry about this, saying, that money was wasted. We could have used that to give to the poor, but don't buy into that. Jesus even calls him out on it in such a way. Or the text does, John does. See, that's really just a red herring. It's really a distraction, because what Judas didn't want was anyone to realize what was happening. Sort of like sometimes when we have a conversation about stewardship in the church, and we start talking about tithing, there's always that one person that says, now Glenn... Are you talking about pre-tax or post-tax on tithing? Now, my response is really simple. I'll tell you what, let's get to post-tax tithing, and then we'll talk about pre-tax. See, they're trying to create the conversation about getting it away from the uncomfortableness of giving your best, and instead getting it focused on something completely different. And that's what Judas wanted. But see, Jesus saw through that. John saw through that. We see through that. Because, see, Mary's life has been changed by this personal encounter with Christ, and thus she could not do anything else in the rest of her life but give her best. Only her best. The first fruits of her life only were the best for Jesus, and that's what Jesus deserved. And Jesus deserved the very best from herself. And so that was part of a new traffic pattern for her. So that begs a question for you and for me. As we ponder what Jesus has done for us on that granular individual level, do we respond in similar ways? Do we bring our best out? Do we give our best to God? Do we give our best for our church? Do we give our best in life? Which then all leads to what is the best that you and I can offer? What's the best that we can offer centenary? What's the best that we can offer each other for the world to Jesus? What is the best that you and I can bring to the table of the Lord and say, here, I give you my greatest possession? How do we bring out our best in our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and even our witness to the world? See, when we come to the table of the Lord here in a few minutes, we come to receive that greatest gift from God. And the question is, what is our response Will we be a changed people such that we want to give our best and live that new traffic pattern? But see, Mary's new traffic pattern is twofold. First, it is giving her best, but then it's also how she gives it. It's a new way of life. See, Mary of Bethany, she gave her best, but she gave it humbly. Remember, she poured this oil out on his feet. She did it for two reasons. One, she didn't feel worthy enough to anoint his head with oil because that was not who she was to be anointing the head of the Son of God. The other part, remember what we know about the roads those days, how dirty and dusty and in disrepair they were. So when people came into your home, their feet were dirty and nasty. And so one of the things that you did to welcome a guest in was you washed their feet. And that was the job of the lowliest servants in the household. They were the ones that cleaned the feet of a guest. And so here we have Mary of Bethany. We have her pouring this expensive oil out upon Jesus' feet, taking on the role of a servant, taking on a level of humility, washing them so that they would be clean giving her best, but doing so as a servant. So when we give our best, when we bring our best to the table, do we do it out of our ego or do we do it as servants? Do we live our best to serve the world and serve a God in heaven who loves us 
created us, redeems us, and sustains us every day. Do we remember what we learned at Advent? We learned that our order of life, the way that we should live, is that we should put Jesus and then others and then finally ourselves in that order. That Jesus first, then others, and finally ourselves, and in that that we find joy in serving and joy in living, joy in being followers of the risen Christ. And so maybe as we come to the table and ponder what our best is, the best things that we can offer to God from our hearts, the things of highest value in our lives, maybe too we should ponder how we serve our God, how we serve our Lord, how we serve each other, how we serve the world humbly as servants. And so as we get closer and closer to Easter, as Holy Week begins next week, let us spend this week pondering the roads that we travel and the directions that we take. Let us do that and consider what God has done for you and for me as individuals, what God has done for us as a congregation and for our world, but most importantly, what God has done to redeem our lives. And in doing that, does it not compel the way you and I live that we offer our best in return and that offering our best we offer as servants? Because if we come to the table and we receive that gift and we leave doing just that, bringing our best to the world, our best to God, our best to each other, and we do it humbly as servants, then the world sees the glory of God's kingdom and they understand that we are living a new traffic pattern and it makes a difference in our lives and that the whole world around us benefits. And when we do that, when we do that, the world takes notice and they too realize how much God loves them and what God has done for them and for us all. So as we come to the table this day, let us come receive the bounty of the Lord, but let us come realizing that it is a gift to us and that it should change our lives and that we walk out of here with a new traffic pattern, a new way of living, where we give our best and we serve humbly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.